Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you guys a game preview for tonight's upcoming matchup where the Thunder will be taking on the Houston Rockets. So I'll be giving top storylines for the game, three key matchups to watch, and also I'm going to be giving you guys a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. But just teeing things off here with the game, we got the battle between two tanking teams, the Thunder versus the Rockets. That was an ongoing storyline that kind of popped up in the latter portions of last season. It was there, but it wasn't expected. And we kind of all know where it stemmed from. You had Russell Westbrook go to Houston for Chris Paul. They gave away four first round picks I believe it was and they were lightly protected for the most part you see some swaps you see some protected one through four some protected one through tens but the one for last season was protected one through four and honestly it didn't seem like it mattered at all it looked like a mid first round pick probably an early 20s first round selection for the Thunder last season but things didn't work out. I mean, they had Westbrook, they had James Harden, but everything just started falling apart from the inside. Harden wanted out. He begged and begged for a trade. We saw some footage of him, you know, working out, doing shoot around where it looked like he had a giant beer belly. Obviously that didn't matter, but he didn't want to be in Houston. They got rid of him. They also got rid of Russell Westbrook in this time to get John Wall, which is why things are even crazier because you make that shift and James Harden still wasn't happy with things. He's not there. Now you have John Wall, you have Kevin Porter Jr., and you had a first-round pick that could potentially be there for them. They ended up just tanking away all of last season. Now, was it as dramatic as the Thunder? Probably not, because you had SGA pretty much take them to a 500 record before he ultimately got injured, and the Thunder just turned into the worst team in the league. But for the Rockets, they weren't going to be coughing up games either. You had the Minnesota Timberwolves as kind of that surprising team at the bottom of the standings for the majority of last season, and you know they finally lost that top spot because they win one or two games. That was massive at the bottom of the standings, and the Rockets simply were not going to take any Ws. So they had the best odds going into draft lottery night. We know what happened. They got the second pick to select Jalen Green, one of my favorite prospects, and someone I ranked as almost in a two-way tie for first in this draft class. I really love him, but obviously that hurt a lot for the Thunder side because you were going into that night thinking, hey, it's pretty much a coin flip getting the number five pick and taking away Houston selection. And that would have been massive uh, because there were future implications as well into looking maybe into the future since they would not have a mega chip there. But they got Jalen Green to go with KPJ. They have Christian Wood, some other guys in there like Wall as well. Um, but they didn't perform that well in their first contest. They ended up playing the Minnesota Timberwolves. Ended up losing the game 124 to 106. It was not that close, uh, really, at all. You know, they were always kind of playing uh, from behind. And then the same goes for the Thunder. I talked about it in yesterday's podcast, but they also lost by a margin of 20 plus. They fell 107 to 86 in Salt Lake City. So they too are looking for a win, or potentially they're looking to get a loss here because it still could be one of those stride for stride standings matchups where. You know, at the end of the year, you're actually looking at tiebreakers uh, and deciding how the order is going to be slotted. And I don't know if they're going to be really be. I don't think they're going to be thinking about that second game of the season. That might be wild, but 
it could be a possibility. You know how Sam Presti is. He might be telling Dagnall a thing or two, uh, playing that kind of game of chess that he always does. Uh, but yeah, I mean, both teams 0-1. One of them is going to come out with a victory. One of them head high. One of them probably going to be looking uh, for the next couple of games for that W. Thunder have a really hard schedule past this one, so this is a pretty pivotal game uh, in terms of maybe turning the corner after the disappointing start. But if you guys want to watch this game, it's at 7 p.m. You guys can catch it on Bally Sports. And of course, just like all other times on the pod, that is 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So 8 p.m. Eastern, and then if you're on the Pacific Coast, that's going to be a 5 p.m. tip-off time, so pretty early there, but you guys probably do get a rerun uh, depending on how things go, but anyways, just starting off with the storylines, the biggest one comes from a, a rookie, and it doesn't come from the lottery, guys. You're thinking Jalen Green, maybe even Josh Giddy. It's Alperin Sangoon, and the reason is everyone, and I mean everyone around draft time, was just pleading for Sam Presti to take Alperin Sangoon, and they did not care. For the most part, most fans did not care if they traded up to pick 10 or 11 and take Sangoon. They just wanted him, and if he was available at pick 16, they were taking Sangoon in a heartbeat. He slid to 16 in the draft, and the Thunder, they had him right for the taking. They took him at pick number 16, and unless you were following Twitter during the draft, which honestly, I think watching Twitter uh, during the draft takes away from it, can't really be me saying anything, um, but I think you got to get that full experience. So whenever Sangoon got picked by the Thunder, I thought Sangoon was a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder, only for a report to come out that that was just not the case, and you had the Houston deal go into effect, but a lot of people were not happy with this deal, and my personal opinion of it, I think the Thunder probably did get slighted, uh, because you don't have a real true center right now, Sangoon does have potential, but also the return, even though there's two first-round picks here, I don't think you're going to get this type of uh, value again with a guy like Sangoon, where he comes overseas, people see a lot of star talent in him, uh, and there really was not a lot of star talent at the center position anywhere past that point. But anyways, the deal was the 16th pick, which was Sangoon, went to Houston, and then the Houston uh, Rockets gave the Thunder two picks, but they weren't even Houston Rocket picks. These were other picks they accumulated uh, with trade by trade. They got a Detroit Pistons 2022 first rounder and a Washington Wizards 2023 first rounder, but both of them are very heavily protected. So they're probably not going to see them for the next couple of seasons, even though they could potentially get the Pistons pick as soon as right now. I don't think the Pistons are going to be close to playoff contention anytime soon though. So they pretty much got two uh, late first round picks to take Sangoon off of their hands. Uh, when Sangoon has a couple of special, unique parts of his game. And I think you probably wouldn't want to make a deal with the Rockets. That might be one of the last teams you'd give a valuable asset to. But I saw reports and a story from Joe Musato of the Oklahoman. I think the main takeaway from that story was two first-round picks. You're never going to find that too often with a mid-first. And that is crazy value. That's true. I guess Presti looked at it that way, and that's obviously why he pulled the trigger, but just seeing how Sangoon performs is going to be big, and for the Thunder, it doesn't matter. Sangoon's not going to be in a Thunder jersey, and he's really not even on the timeline, even for Rockets fans. Outside of making a Twitter remark, there's no connection here, so the only people that are going to be talking about Sangoon on the Rockets side are just trolls, and then for the Thunder side, I think a lot of the fan base, even though maybe the Thunder didn't even want him, 
you know, they're still going to connect Sangoon with the Thunder because he was there and people did want Sangoon to play in Bricktown. So he has that matchup where there's not really a true center on the Thunder side. Maybe there's Derek Favors. Got to take into account that Christian Wood is going to be the starter for the game. So it's probably going to be Favors and Wood. And then the second unit, you're going to see some of the small ball fives taking on Sangoon, who's not too tall himself, but he does do a pretty good job around the basket. That's kind of one of the weak points for Roby and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, uh, at least in their early portions of their career. So that can lead to something as a rebounder. Sangoon's done very well uh, in the summer league and then the preseason. And then even in the unique stats, like the blocks and the steals, he was able to put a lot down in his debut game. His end stat line was 11 points, six rebounds, two assists and three steals, no blocks on the game. Uh, but it's pretty pretty cool to see that in just 18 minutes. So he was very productive uh, starting things out. Didn't take any uh, threes, but did get to the foul line a lot. So if Sengun erupts for a double-double off the bench, we're not going to hear the end of this thing. And maybe it's justified, maybe it's not. I think when you look at Sengun and look at his play style, this is probably one of the games where he might do a little bit better uh, than other ones. Uh, but regardless, like I said, there's going to be some headlines taken away from Sengun just because that instant connection you can make between the two parties. Moving on, though, to just straight-up Thunder storylines, it has to be the rotation. And more specifically, I want to talk about Ty Jerome. This is what I talked about in the back end of the last podcast, but I think I need to reiterate things because this was a pretty big deal that Ty Jerome was ousted in the rotation. And this is what I kind of thought would happen. Not really thought, but that's what I thought was the best outcome just due to this like four guard rotation, but I'm not too sure anymore. Ty Jerome's a pretty talented point guard. He can be a valuable backup point guard to pretty much any team, and he's only 24 years old right now. Great shooter, really good passer, not the fastest, but does it really matter with the IQ of his? I don't think it does, to be honest with you. You look at him not getting minutes. You look at guys like Teo only getting 21, Trey Mann getting 14. There's not enough slices for Ty Jerome, and it's pretty damn evident that Ty Jerome is worthy of getting 20 minutes per game in the NBA and so are so is Trey Mann and so is Teo Maladone now if you're going for a championship you might not want to put those two in I think the most ready player might actually be Ty Jerome but they're looking to rebuild so I get it I would think that you kind of just filter in Ty Jerome for this game I think when you uh, kind of check your options right here, there's only two real pathways for him to get minutes, and it's through just axing one or the other between Trey Mann or Teo Maladon. And maybe you could try to find a sweet spot by taking minutes away from Teo to get it down to 15. Trey Mann's still at 14. You try to give Jerome seven. There was some weird thing where Kredgy got in for the bottom of the barrel minutes. You just give, uh, you know, Ty those minutes. You can get him up to 15 maybe. But you want to see a stable rotational spot for him. It's going to be hard to carve it out. I think though, like I was saying, Ty Jerome probably will have a role in tonight's contest. Now, past that point, I don't know, but I think you kind of want to evaluate all options in the early stages so you can kind of uh, find a real pathway for maybe moves down the line. And also, you don't just want to keep him at the back end of your bench. You need to get him reps because he was a pretty good performer last season. If you are looking to trade him, you still need to have the trade value up on him. That's probably why Derek Favors is out there. Obviously, they need a big body, 
but you got to play a guy like Ty, even if the end goal is him being in a different jersey in a couple months. You just have to be able to make some sort of market for him to where it is a fair trade-off because Ty Jerome should fetch some sort of market. But anyways, I think he is going to play. I think if he's taking minutes from one of them, it's got to be Teo. Now, I love Teo. I think he's deserving of a six-man role. That's kind of what I was saying uh, during the summer as well, just because he was a pretty consistent guy night to night, really unique when it came to passing the basketball. And even off the ball, I really like him as a player. Uh, But... I think when you compare him to Trey Mann in the debuts, Mann probably had the better uh, between them. Now, Maladone was the better passer. Trey Mann didn't even have an assist, but he did have nine points in those 14 minutes. Had two step-back shots, looked really, really good when it came to creating for himself. So you might want to see what Mann and Jerome are able to do as a backcourt to just see Ty because he isn't really a person who's taken the ISOs. Give Trey Mann those ISO reps when it comes to more half-court evaluations, then you might give it to Ty Jerome. He can break down the offense a bit better. It might, might, just might make a better combo. So I think it is worth experimenting with against the Houston Rockets. And with a guy like Ty Jerome, he's able to put up points in bunches, which is always going to help you out. Darius Baisley, I'm not going to say he's going to put up points in bunches. Now, he does. That's kind of his calling card. So maybe because he does have those eruptions in one quarter, but then the other three are kind of stinkers. He had a stinker of a game for his season debut. Had 15 points and seven rebounds. Took him 14 shots, though. Only hit five and went one of seven from deep range. The usage, I mentioned it in yesterday's pod. He was the team leader, and it was by a tenth, but it's still above SGA, and then there was a gap kind of between those two and the rest of the group. So he was looking to take shots pretty much every time. He was being left open from three. I'm curious to see if the Rockets want to continue to test Baisley like other teams have, uh, not just in last game, but also during the back end of last season as well. Does he take those shots? Is he able to hit those shots? And then if he is, is he able to get inside to the other two levels? And look, I think even if he's killing it, maybe if he is killing it, you give him similar minutes to last game, but he played 31 minutes in the last one. Poku didn't even get 15 minutes, and the whole entire thing with Poku is he's hot and cold, he's gonna be a star one night, probably not a star in the other ones, you gotta give him some time, and they didn't treat him like a six man, like what Dagnall was saying, he seemed like the eighth or ninth guy off the bench, and he really wasn't able to make a presence, because he didn't have the ball in his hands either, and I think even though, you know, Baisley isn't gonna be playing with Poku all that often, you still might want to dwindle those minutes down, maybe get Baisley to like 25, get Poku to maybe similar minutes to like a Teo to where he's above the 20 minute uh, threshold. But yeah, right now Poku doesn't have enough minutes. I think the potential leans in Poku's favor. He also is like Baisley where he can be wildly inconsistent, but you still want to check him out just like maybe a Ty Jerome as well. And one of the things that Poku can do, Ty can do, a lot of the guys on this Thunder uh, team can do is just distribute the ball, get the ball moving, whether it's on ball stuff or maybe behind the scenes with some backdoor cuts and some screens. Um, But yeah, they, they were really good in the preseason when it came to ball movement, passing the ball around, getting a lot of assists. They were really bad when it came to assists 
last game. They didn't even reach 20. They had 19 in the game. And the leaders, the guys that are supposed to be drumming out five plus assists, SGA, he only had two. Josh Giddy, he had three. Poku had three. The team leader was actually a two-way tie between Giddy and Poku. So there was no one real focus when it came to passing the basketball. And they did have open shots. You still have to talk about how they shot, what, 7 of 35 from three-point range in the debut here. But I mean, there were just not a lot of made buckets, and not a lot of them came assisted, which really stings. They need to get that. They need to get the three going, and they also need to be moving around. Eight total cuts, only one of them was open, led to an easy layup for Derek Favors. You can't be playing five out. This was like a college system almost. And I think they probably played that way just because they're still getting in the motions of things. The preseason Thunder were not playing the same way. They were really active and it was causing a lot of confusion on the other side. They'll probably flip the switch. This is a very good game to test things out because the Houston Rockets, they are no playoff team. They're not a contending team. This is a team that is probably going to be in the 13, 14, 15 range in the conference. So this is where you test things out. And honestly, this is probably where the Rockets Rockets want to test things out as well, and that's why you want to lay all those cards out, lay out those plays, lay out guys like Poku and uh, Ty Jerome who might not be there all the time, and just give ample opportunities around this roster. And there's a lot of good matchups that can come from that when you're looking at not just the starters, but also the bench unit. And I'm going to give you three in a moment here, but first, I want to let you guys know a little bit about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. As we all know, the NBA season has officially commenced. And with DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner with the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA game to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. And guess what? Even if that's not your cup of tea, DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get their skin in the game with new same game parlays. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Just bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving right along to the three key matchups to watch for this game. This is a wacky one to evaluate because like I said, since there's a lot of starters and there's a lot of bench figures that are both young, primarily young, I'll put it that way, it's going to cause a lot of rotational confusion. I think there's going to be a lot of second unit guys out there 
Um, obviously, you're going to see a lot of the starters, but it could make for some unsung heroes and some pretty good talking points heading on into next game. And the first one is just a rookie battle between the two lotto picks. I don't know how they're going to stack up. Maybe Lou Dort takes Jalen Green in this game, but I'm going to go ahead and say that the matchup is Jalen Green versus Josh Giddy, And this makes a very, very fun test for Josh Giddy. Now, when you break down the two rookies, this was not a very good debut really for either player. I'll say with Giddy, really good on the glass. When it came to points, only four going two of seven. That's not too efficient. And then for Jalen Green, he also was not efficient at all either. He shot four of 14 in his game, went one of six from downtown. So they're both looking for a little bit of life. Those two going at it, I'd assume one of them probably breaks out uh, with a lot of points and both of them are really capable of it. When you look at Jalen Green, I said that I think he could be a scoring champ. I think he is someone who can be dropping buckets in waves. His arsenal is ridiculous for, what, a 19-year-old, I think. He's lightning fast. I think he's probably the fastest dude that came out of last year's draft class. This man can also fly, take it from the free throw line, between the legs, posterizers, alley-oops. He has it all from an athletic perspective, but you gotta take into account his three-level scoring ability. He's like Zach Levine. He can take that dunk, but he can also step back for three. That step back looks more reminiscent of James Harden than it does with Levine to be honest with you he creates space pretty much every single time and when he's hot it's very difficult to stop him also have to think about him when he stops with the basketball he also is kind of like a Trey man where we've seen him just stop out of nowhere stop on a dime pull up from twos and get a guy just leaning backwards for a wide open jumper that's what Jalen Green does in the mid-range so he's effective really everywhere on the court it's just a matter of making sure to bottle him up, uh, him up early so he's not just hot the entire time and I hope Josh Giddy can do that you look at Jalen Green he's six foot six could knock him down to six foot five with Josh Giddy. he's either six eight or six foot nine so it's going to be really a three inch uh, deficit going or I guess an advantage going in Josh Giddy's favor now Josh Giddy is not faster than Jalen Green I don't know if he's going to be able to stop him when it comes to turning the corner we didn't get to see the Cade Cunningham versus Giddy matchup I think that would have been a good indicator in terms of his lateral quickness this is going to be a major major test because I think this is probably the quickest dude that Josh Giddy has had to cover up until this point at least in large spurts because Jalen Green is just a standout athlete he can score. Giddy, hopefully he can defend. This was one of the things where we were kind of wondering how is he going to do in terms of perimeter defense. Interiorly, you know, he is kind of like one of the bigger dudes on this Thunder roster. So hopefully he can start defending some of the bigs. He's played point guard for most of his career. Jalen Green's obviously not your typical point guard though. So it's going to cause some sort of fireworks one way or the other. That's kind of why I like it so much. And then for Josh Giddy, I mean, is he going to have the uh, opportunity to go in isolation? We didn't get to see it enough last game. Had one against Royce O'Neal where he just blew right by, made a beautiful dime, didn't result in points, but that was like one of maybe two or three drives I got to see from Josh Giddy. Pretty much non-existent from him in the debut game, and he was just a corner sitter. I don't want to see him used as a corner sitter. I want to see him top of the key trying to take Jalen Green one-on-one and just trying to get right by him because one of the weak points of Jalen Green, and there's not many with him, is his lateral quickness. He can get happy feet. It can cause some problems. Now, he's a very good ball hawk, so you don't want to be testing him 
in terms of making like outlet passes or 50-50 balls. But when you have them one-on-one, you could try to take advantage of that lateral quickness and then just get right around him. The big deal though is the screen defense. He gets eaten alive with high ball screens. That was the one thing with the Ignite where when I was evaluating him, I had to put it down. That was the one thing you highlight, you circle. And guess what? For Josh Giddy, he lives off of screens. He loves taking you one-on-one. So you get a high ball screen from a Derek Favors or a Roby or someone of that nature. Then you're going to get probably Jalen Green lost on a couple of those to where Josh Giddy would have that step. And hey, even though he's not faster than Jalen Green, those extra two, three strides can really make a difference and get you some points. So I would love to see some high ball screens going Josh Giddy's way when there is that matchup. And hell, if it's SGA versus Jalen Green, I'd probably want it even more just because SGA is a little bit more athletic than a Josh Giddy and might be a bit of a better finisher in general. I got Sangoon versus the Thunderbigs. That has to be one of the main ones, obviously. I made it a whole storyline, so I'll kind of dumb it down yet again, but it's not really even about the storyline at this point. You look at Christian Wood, that might be the better takeaway because Christian Wood's a walking double-double. He can shoot threes. He can slash inside. Very good player, but with Sangoon, I like this matchup more because I think it's a better test and it's a better maybe litmus test. Uh, for the Thunder Bigs. In particular, you're looking at Isaiah Roby and Jeremiah Robinson Earl with this one because both JRE and Roby are 6'8 or 6'9. In the case of Sangoon, he's really in that identical ballpark range, but he's not like your typical guy at that height. He is a back-to-basket post player, and we've seen him brought in his skills, which is dangerous. You don't want to see that, but he has done it in the past. I think for the most part, though, he's going to try to drive inside, make some post moves, get some hooks in, and try to just feast around the block uh, when it comes down to it. But this is something where, you know, with Sangoon, he might look at this as a big opportunity because you have two centers who really aren't true centers, number one, and they're kind of the same height as him. So he might take that as a golden opportunity to just go right at him the entire way. But for the Thunder side of things, you're looking at to a, a back-to-basket big that's not seven feet tall like they've kind of become accustomed to. And Sangoon, he's like 19 years old, so he doesn't have the body of the typical back-to-basket bigs in the NBA. So this is a fair test, I'd say, on both sides. And I think this is where you kind of get the best true indicator on not just Sangoon's skills, but also where the Thunder bigs are at in terms of defending players around the post. Because when you have someone who's 7-2 or 7-3 on you, it's understandable if you just get beaten off of height alone. But this is something where they're both clocking in at identical stats, pretty much, uh, from a measurables perspective. So that's why I want to see this one so badly. And that's why this is probably going to be a write-up uh, when it's all said and done after the full 48 minutes. For the third best matchup, I'd probably say SGA versus KPJ. I just want to see a little bit more of SGA because last game he really couldn't get it uh, moving in terms of passing. The three-point shot was just non-existent, going one of seven from downtown. And he's going up against another high-volume scorer who's also turned into a bit of a passer. Now, you look at Kevin Porter Jr., though. He had a lot of turnovers in the first game, and I think that's something that you might be able to exploit again. He had nine turnovers, by the way, in 25 minutes, but you look at him. He's someone who's kind of like SGA in terms of he can go out there and create shots. Now, he's not a better finisher. He's not a better passer. 
SGA is better in really every category. If someone tells you different, they are clueless. Um, but it's still a good, exciting matchup because these are two young scorers who are also competent in terms of kicking it out. And as we know with SGA, he is a very, very good guy when it comes to distributing. So those are the main three. I think you obviously want to see Lou Dort do a bit better. He shot two of 10 in his debut. You had other guys like Poku not really play, so get more action from him. Mm, definitely want to see more from Favors. I was going to say might. No, you need to see more from Favors. He went two of nine. A lot of those came off of minis as well. So need to see better from him. Lots of good players on the Rockets team though. Like I mentioned, there's KPJ. There's Jalen Green, Christian Wood. Jay Sean Tate is there. But you also got to look at guys like Josh Christopher, Sangoon, and Kenyon Martin Jr. They have the young assets and that's why I'm honed in for the 7 p.m. matchup. So I'm going to be watching the game tonight. I'll get you guys a recap. Hopefully you guys watch the game on Bally Sports. If not, I got you all covered for the next episode. I'll get you all the recap, the top players, and the top plays from that game. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.